0: time, I invite you to uh, open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to begin in verse 13, again 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, going through verse 17. Yesterday, there were a couple of of families uh, from here that went to a conference in Birmingham, Alabama. Anybody here has ever been to Birmingham? Uh, The conference was called the Always Ready Youth Conference. And the, the reason for the conference really was that we live in a in a world, and especially our, our younger generation, our children are are growing up in a world that does not necessarily accept biblical truth. That's a bit of an understatement. Uh, in fact, a world which certainly seems at least, and I believe it truly is, increasingly hostile to biblical truth. Now, we see this on almost every front, uh, Basic. Biblical concepts and, and reality, you, you don't need to look far to see it. We can even go back in, in history here in our country and, and see that in times past, uh, whereas certain things were accepted, uh, today they're not, not only ex- not accepted, but they're absolutely rejected and thrown away. Uh, away. And there's a true hostility against them. And they're replaced by an alternate materialistic reality. Uh, in other words, a reality that, that attempts to remove God altogether. Uh, and We can see un- underlying all of that, of course, there is an agenda that is there. And, and therefore, therefore uh, especially for uh, young people who are growing up, but it's true for all of us. Uh, we need to be always ready to explain the truth, uh, give expression for the reason for that hope that lies within us to to yes, to one another, yes to to others that that see and know something about that message, but also to those who are hostile to that message in the world in which we live. Uh, you know the same need existed in peter 's day. Uh, as you read through the book of First Peter, uh, you can see that this is really at the heart of the reason that that Peter wrote this letter. It was on account of uh, the the message that we have here, and, and and that's at the heart of this word, that the people in the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia spread across uh, this large area that, that Peter was writing to, uh, it was because of this message that they were being rejected, and that they were suffering, and there was some amount of persecution. And, you know, we can understand that, I think, uh, because... With this message, there are countries around the world today uh, where there, there are governments that want the people completely, in all senses, belief, and all the way through to be under their control. And this message stands in that way. It says, there is one God, and we are to look to Him. And so it's, it's hated uh, in other places where that's not the case, Uh, This very simple message calls out people in their sin. Uh, And it tells them, and this is not just some people, this is all people. And it tells them that they must believe in and submit themselves, therefore, to the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, if they continue on the path in which they're on, they will face condemnation. And so you can understand for... Uh, plain reasons why there is a rejection of this message and of those who bring this message forth. On the other hand, this same message that brings about uh, rejection in this world will be heard by some, some people. There will be some who hear it, who are irresistibly drawn to it, and who recognize that this message is the one and only message of salvation. This message provides freedom from sin and death. And it is the one way for hope, for that which lies ahead, a life together with the one who has made us, together with the Lord. And so even though believers may face rejection and suffering on account of this message, it must be heard and it must be shared. And so we need to be ready to share that message. We need to be prepared. Uh, and so you can see the name of that, that uh, the conference that we went to, the Always Ready Conference. Uh, that was the reason uh, for it, that we might be prepared. And all of us, it is true, need to be uh, prepared for this. That's what this passage that we're looking at this morning is all about. Now, last week, we were encouraged, uh, as we heard from from Peter, that even in the face of suffering, he said... Uh, as we serve others and as we live in a particular way that's pleasing to the Lord, that we will receive blessing and that we will bless others just through the way that we live our lives. The message this morning goes beyond that. And it talks about how very specifically uh, we are able to bless others with our words, not just with the ways that we live our lives as we share The gospel of Jesus Christ with others around us, even even when it may mean uh, rejection at times, suffering, uh, even loss. Uh, So again, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you look down at verse 13, uh, and I'll read through verse 17, this is God's word. Peter says, now who is there to harm you? So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this this word, this message. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the the helps that you give us. uh, The things that this message calls for, we can find very difficult, as did clearly the people in the first century. And yet, Lord, you have provided for that. Help us to see and understand uh, what Peter is saying here. Help us to apply it to ourselves. And we we pray that you will use this uh, in our own lives and in that of others. Uh, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, uh, as we read through those in the New Testament, you may know that really more than half of the New Testament uh, is the, the Apostle Paul, his writing. Uh, but all the way through, it's especially clear, it's clear with the other authors as well, but especially clear, I think, at times with Paul that he lifts up one thing above all others. He said that there says that there is one word, there is one message that... Uh, is, is absolute. It's of utmost importance to all people. Uh, and he says it needs to be shared. It needs to be heard. It is absolutely essential. In the, in the book of Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16, uh, he, it, it's really the theme of the book of Romans. He said, I, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He points out that, that central truth, the gospel, uh, you know, in the first, uh, his first letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 2, beginning of the chapter, uh, he, he says this as he points them back to when he first came to them uh, in Corinth and planted the church and began teaching among them. And he says this, he said, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This one central message, nothing else among you. And of course, he, he, he was saying that everything that, that I gave you, that I taught, that I proclaimed to you, it, it had as its basis this, it was pointing you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that important. At the end of that same book, Uh, These are the words that we read uh, earlier in our confession of faith. He he said to them, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And then he goes on to say, uh, I delivered to you that which was of first importance. Uh, There are truths here that are uh, above all the others are there to to support and provide pointing toward this one truth and it is the gospel you know it's a bit like a a paramedic when a paramedic first comes to a a scene they they do their assessment of the scene and and it's a life and death kind of situation there's someone that's lying there What, what do they look for first you know is the heart beating is, is there blood that's pumping through the body? They, they, they've got to check for that which is needed, absolutely necessary for life. And when it comes to spiritual life, it's the gospel that is the power of salvation. Uh, we see it through and through. And so as Peter is addressing these Christians, uh, Christians that we can see are suffering, they're facing persecution from those around them they've communicated this back to to Peter Peter is writing to help them you know it's interesting that in in his writing to help them he doesn't just encourage them and and tell them how to escape the suffering that they're undergoing he doesn't even just tell them well you just got to bear up under the suffering and encourage them in that way uh, but he actually instructs them on how through the difficulties through the suffering that they're experiencing, how to turn it into an opportunity, an opportunity for this message to, to be delivered and to be given, that it might be heard and that it might change uh, the hearts of people. Uh, these Christians are living in a world that rejected them on account of this message. That's, that, that, that's what led to their suffering. And so, of course, it makes sense that they were, they were reticent to just go out and openly share that message. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're being hit and, and whipped with something, you don't just try to go to a place where you're just going to be hit and whipped more. No, uh, you've got this tendency to try to escape, and we can understand that. Uh, well, Even though today's world is not the same in every way as we look back to the first century, but it certainly is a world that by and large rejects this. It rejects the message of the gospel. Uh, You know, if I said as a church uh, in about a week, let's say next Saturday, we're going to gather downtown uh, and we're just going to walk up and down the streets, go into the, the storefronts, talk to people, and you know, just share the gospel with the people that are, that are there. Um, I wonder how many we'd have that would gather for that. Now, I'm, I'm not going to try it right now. <laughs> we may at some uh, point not too far off, but uh, how many would gather for that? Why? It's not because we, we disagree, I don't think, that this message... Of the gospel is, is foundational, that it's, that it's critical, and that it needs to be shared, uh, and that we're, we're actually commanded to share it. It's not that we disagree about that. It's that there are barriers, aren't there, that make it difficult. There are barriers that, that stand in, in the way, in our way. And, and, and it's not easy to just kind of uh, remove those barriers from us, uh, in particular, one, uh, fear kind of stands in our way, as it did for for this people as well. Uh, And so what we need, we need the answers to the questions that Peter was answering for his audience. In particular, this one. When you live in a world that rejects the message of the gospel, and that rejects those who bring forward that message, how do you go about bearing witness to it? Because it's plain that we are to, we're called to. How do you go about that? Well, we're going to answer that question in two parts. First of all, deal with fear. You say conquer fear, remove fear, number one. And then secondly, prepare well. Uh, So two items here. The first one, conquer fear, uh, remove it uh you know that's that's the first thing that Peter deals with in this this passage as he's he's talking about what stands in the way what what keeps them from being a witness for Christ because he's going to call them to it uh, in fact this whole section that we've been going through it, you, you may not have recognized it, it deals a lot with uh with suffering uh and and living in a right way before God, but the whole thing has been evangelistic uh through and through and so here he addresses this issue of fear. Now, before we talk about conquering fear, uh, I'd like for us to see the context a little bit further. Let's look at back at a verse that we you know, had last week, verse 12, just the one prior to the passage I just read. It's, it's part of a quote, you may remember if you were here, out of Psalm 43. It is a word of comfort for those who are living their, their lives for the Lord. Uh, in that verse, the psalmist says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's reminding us of, just, just before he begins to speak here about suffering in the life of the Christian, uh, is, he reminds us who is right there with the believer. Who is there with the... The Christian. You know, you can have a, a small kid that's out on a, a playground. I can remember back many years ago when I was in elementary school and go out on the playground. There might be a small uh, kid that's there. In fact, I've got one in my mind I can think about who was f- afraid. He wasn't one of the big kids. He he didn't have a lot of confidence there. He he was constantly afraid, afraid of getting beat up, afraid of of not being able to to do the things that would uh, get him uh, any sort of positive attention, but only negative. Yet, when there came a day, we used to have these in school, and there came a field day. And that was a day often when all these activities would take place, even parents uh, were able to come and join in the activities. Same kid on a field day, but his dad's there, and he's a big, uh, big burly guy. Uh, Think of that same kid joining in these activities, but acting completely differently. Why? Because of the one who was with him. Uh, He... He has this confidence now, all because of the one who is beside of him. Uh, That's what we see here. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but his ears are open to their prayer. Uh, this This is a person that is in their minds, knows uh, that the Lord is with them and therefore is not weak, therefore is not without confidence, Uh, but there is a change that takes place. That's what Peter is talking about as he takes us into this passage that has to do with suffering. Look at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You will be blessed. Have no fear, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. You know, some of the translations say, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Peter wants us to see one overriding reality here. That you, if you, if you have yoked yourself to Christ that you are not alone, ever. You're not alone. That He is constantly with you. you you're, you're able to live your life, no matter what happens, with the fullness that Christ brings to you, with the fullness of the gospel, to know that you are fully forgiven, uh, to know that His name has been placed upon you, that, that you're accepted into the Beloved, that, uh, that you belong to Him And that he is yours, you are his. You know, if you have answered the call of Christ. And here is one way that the Lord Jesus puts it in Matthew uh, chapter 11. The call, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my my bur- I, he, he goes on to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what a yoke is? Uh, it's that heavy wooden thing that has two humps on it and it, it fits over the oxen so that they will go on the path that the one that's behind them and driving them uh, wants them to go and they'll be yoked together. So they'll always be together. But the point of 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 that is that they they're stubborn and they wouldn't otherwise uh, go where they needed to go, but this is a different yoke this is it's similar in the sense that we are to yoke ourselves with Christ, uh, but we do it willingly and out of a heart that that loves him and that recognizes that he has loved us with an everlasting love and so we we continue with him and we follow him and we obey him you know if you have yoked yourself to christ then you can know that he is with you by his holy spirit and this is the great reality for the believer it's the reality that overshadows all others that we belong to christ and that we're motivated by the gospel and and so as peter says here in your hearts set apart christ as lord make him your lord follow him in all areas and he's saying uh, if you continue in this way, it will drive out fear if that's truly the way that you're living your life. Now That's what Peter says right at the beginning of this passage when he says, now who is there to harm you if, if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, if you have yoked yourself to Christ and you are following Him and you are obedient to Him, that you're submitted to Him, then your heart is won over by Him and you're going to desire what is His, you're going to desire what is good. He's not saying here you will not face suffering. That's clear because the people who He's writing to are already facing suffering. He goes on to talk about all the suffering that will take place. But He is saying that if you are yoked in this way and you set apart Christ in your heart as Lord, then that will drive out suffering. Who is there to harm you? Ultimately. Uh, Because he is solid. You know, when I I first came to faith in Christ, it was this that really gave me this great sense of comfort uh, inside. I I I had not grown up. I had grown up hearing about the faith, but I wasn't uh, a believer. I was not convicted in my heart. I wasn't following Christ. Uh, And so everything that I was depending upon was temporary. And always subject to loss. And so there was no sense of security. But what what Peter's talking about here is having that knowledge, that understanding in your life that no matter what happens, that you are secure, that you've got a foundation, that you're in Christ, even if you were to get put into prison. Remember that passage in... Uh, It's in uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, you have Paul and Silas, uh, they've been sharing the gospel, right? And uh, because of the message, they get put into prison, they're shackled, they they can hardly move, Uh, and it's on account of the message. Yet, knowing the close presence of the Lord, and knowing this, they've set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts, and so what are they doing? They're singing, they're witnessing to the other prisoners that are there. They've got a joy in their hearts in the midst of what might seem to us the worst of situations, to be put into prison and shackled. Where was their fear? It was driven out uh, because they had set Christ as Lord in their hearts. Their fear was driven out. You know what? I remember years ago when I was in the North Texas Presbytery, uh, I, I wasn't a pastor, I was an intern at that time, but remember as part of the Presbytery, there was a pastor of a small uh, small town church in Texas, I think it was outside of, of Waco, Texas. Most there were from Dallas, they were from uh, Fort Worth, but a small town uh, pastor. You know, I remember seeing him for the first time, he was kind of small in stature, he had a, a lisp when he spoke and, and honestly didn't, didn't make one of those first impressions that get, just give you this, this sense of strength. Uh, he seemed, there seemed to be weakness there. But I'll tell you, when I hear, heard him speak about Christ, heard him speak about the things of God, I saw this confidence come over him and, and this sense as the message went forth This is one that I need to listen to. He has the Word of God. And you know where that was coming from? That was coming from the presence of Christ in him by way of the Holy Spirit. You know, he may have, I didn't end up knowing him uh, real well, he may have prior, in in a prior portion of his life, he may have a significantly and severely feared man. And it may have controlled him because of the way that he appeared and and what this world asks us to have in order to be strong and in order to be accepted. It may have been something that paralyzed him inside until, until that point at which he lost the fear of man because he gained the fear of God. That point at which he set apart Christ as Lord in his heart. That's what we're being called to here. Uh, I'd, I'd ask you, how, how much do you, maybe a hard question, how much do you speak of Christ and of, of the things of Christ in the lives of others? And here I'm not just talking about people that you know are within the faith. I'm talking about those who are outside. Uh, do you find it difficult? And why? Uh, and by the way, you're not alone if your answer is yes, not alone at all. Uh, The fear of man can be such a barrier to us. It can be a yoke. This is a yoke of a different nature that controls us. And especially when we know deep down inside that this is a message that, generally speaking, people don't receive. They're not on the outside. They're, They're not just accepting of it. In fact, for many, it brings out Anger, when we know that, then it can make it all that much more difficult. We know that some will see it as foolishness. Others will see it as an affront. Uh, And we can be afraid of being ridiculed, be be afraid of having the door shut in our face uh, or worse. And that's a fear that can paralyze us until, until, and really it's more and more. Uh, we set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Now, if we have yoked ourselves to Christ, he's already there. He's already there as Lord. Uh, but more and more as we set ourselves aside in that way so that we're looking to him, so that we're obedient to him. Uh, remember Peter, you know, speaking of Peter, this is his, his letter, isn't it? Uh, remember Peter's fear right there at the end of, uh, when Jesus was facing a tribunal, and especially there in the courtyard of the high priest, it was dark, there was a, a fire, and we get, get this picture of, of Peter kind of huddled up in the, the corner of the courtyard, and a servant girl that was there asks him about his relationship to Jesus, and then that was followed by others, and each time he denied, flat out denied uh, he He undoubtedly was faced with fear this is going this is going to have a tremendous impact on me. if I admit to this then i'm going to face suffering and he was he was holding back because of that. Think about Peter later uh, Acts chapter five Peter faced his own tribunal when he and John were a- arrested uh it, It seems to be the same tribunal that that Jesus faced. And yet, remember what happened when they hurled their insults at them and their threats, they made threats against them? Their fear was completely gone. And he stood as a bold witness for Christ. Uh, what, What was the difference between those two Peters and the second one, the Holy Spirit at work within him? He set Christ apart as Lord in his heart and looked to him. Now, this is Peter. He knew what fear was. He knew how it had controlled him. But he also knew the secret of what it took to conquer the fear of man. Uh, We read about it earlier out of uh, Isaiah's prophecy in uh, in Isaiah chapter 8. Remember these words. Do not fear what they fear nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts. Him shall you honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. That was a secret to Peter's boldness. And it's got to be the same for us, that as we live our lives, we look to Christ, and we know that we belong to Him, we're yoked to Him. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And so we continue in that way. We walk in obedience to Him. Using the means that He has given us, that we day after day be able to walk with Him. And what does it do with fear? It drives fear out. Because if you think about it, this was something that we heard at the, the conference yesterday. If we see the Lord in the right way, it's kind of like looking up at the sun, right? His glory, His goodness, His greatness. And everything else, this this relationship with man just kind of fades into the background. And we're able to live our lives for him. Uh, Sometimes it's said for the audience of, of one, for the Lord. That is the secret antidote that we need. Where God is big and man is small. That's what drives out fear. So fear, first of all. But secondly, Peter calls for us to prepare well, now, we're Presbyterians here. We know about preparing, right? Preparation, we're, we're, we're good with that. Well, we wonder? Um, we need to prepare because we live in a world that by and large is. It is hostile to the faith. Sometimes it's kind of hidden uh, away. Uh, we do live in the Bible Belt that does change things. But by and large, hostile to the faith. Um, We need to prepare because the gospel is essential. We need to prepare because there will be, there will be some who are going to hear that message and are drawn to it irresistibly and will receive it and follow it. We need to prepare because the Lord has called us to this. Uh, We must seek to be prepared to give a reason for that hope that lies within us. That's what Peter tells us here in verse 15. Now this is part of the same sentence uh, where he said, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Notice that. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, notice his instruction here is not. It's not isolate yourself. It's not there is danger out there when you share this message, so draw back. No, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? Uh, Peter's concern is that Christian believers be prepared and able humbly and respectfully to defend their hope in Christ to anyone that might ask, that, that word defend uh, is the word that we use for apology. Here, when we say apology, uh, it means to say, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened. No, this is not that at all. It really is to make a defense, just like you would do in a, in a, a courtroom, to make a defense for the truth and for that which uh, belongs to you, for this hope. And especially, he's saying here, not just to those uh, who are part of your community, but especially to those who may in some way be hostile to the faith, uh, those who are in the outside world. Now, he uses this word hope in the sense, as we might expect, referring to the future aspect of salvation. It isn't just our testimony Uh, that we share with someone, although that can be a wonderful way to begin to start to get into these things. But it really is to answer particular questions that they may have uh, because of the culture in which they live, because of how they have been been taught things of this, this world, to refute the objections that are there. And so this requires knowing your faith. And it even requires knowing something about Those to whom you are speaking, uh, that's that's where we may have to do some extra work here to understand the world in which we live, to understand the objections uh, that we do face, as well as uh, understanding and having knowledge. and, And this really is the first place of The gospel itself and all those things that surround the gospel and and how we we experience that in our own lives. Now, remember, Peter has already spoken about this forward-looking hope that the Christian has. He he did right at the beginning of his letter. Remember he said, uh, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a great hope. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time when Christ returns. Uh, Notice in those words, all the way through, there's this certainty to it. There's a security to it uh, that causes a person to live in a way out of that hope that's completely different from those uh, around us. Uh, Peter has already talked about our lives being a witness to that, to that hope. But now he's saying we must be ready, we must be prepared, so that not only with our lives and the way we live them, but with our words that we're able to answer the questions. questions could be, how can you have so much confidence uh, in this? How is it that your book is different from all those other books, religious texts, holy texts out there? Aren't there many paths to heaven so that we can just kind of choose the path to follow? You know, making a defense for the hope that lies within you means answering these questions. Yes. But first and foremost, it does mean knowing, understanding, having it in in the forefront of your mind, on the the tip of your lips, this gospel that remember Paul upheld as being of of first importance above all else. uh, So that you've got to be prepared to ask yourself, am I ready to share that? Am I ready to to give that uh, to somebody, whether they ask for it sometimes or not? or not, but to look for opportunities. Now, there are many different ways to verbalize this, the gospel, uh, but it's all the same truth. I'm going to just give you a, a handful of passages and, 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 and facts about the gospel here. Uh, but in whatever form that you deliver that gospel, it needs to be something that, that comes from your own heart, out of your own life. Uh, and grounded in God's word through and through, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's really a starting point, isn't it? It's where our hearts are. Uh, Romans 3.23, that I am a sinner and you are a sinner. Spiritually lost. And and, and we can say the wages of sin is death. Again, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This is what we earn as we... Uh, Live our lives apart from God and sin, sin, sin. We're earning death. And what it's talking about when it speaks about death is ultimate death, separation from God, ultimate loss, the opposite from salvation. Uh, But God, Ephesians 2, 4, many other places we could go. But God has provided his grace and his mercy. He's provided a way of life. And he's provided that through his Son, through the Lord Jesus. Um, And many different ways or places we can go to talk about that. John 3, 16, which contains this. By believing in him, you are able to have eternal life forever. And so on that point, in sharing the gospel with somebody, spend some time. On believing in him. What does it mean? What does it look like to have faith in Christ? Because many people just think, well, it's just it's just with my mind. I, and and maybe with my lips, maybe I, I profess it in my mind. I, I say I believe it, and that's it. But no, it has to, it, it needs to be grounded, it needs to show in your life. Ultimately, faith in Christ is going to involve looking at your own heart and repenting for your sins. But it is following Christ. That's the number one thing. Follow Christ with all of your heart and all of your life. Yoke yourselves to him. This is faith. And so as you share the gospel, somebody, they they need to see the full picture and and how it uh, shows in the life of a person and the, the great value that's there. But But in this passage, Peter is not only speaking about sharing that great truth. It's not only about sharing uh, or preparing and and knowing how to share the gospel. But it does include knowing and being prepared to answer some of those arguments that are posed by the world around us. No matter how absurd they might seem. And some really truly are absurd today. But uh, notice it says here, do it with gentleness and respect. And so walking them through uh, some of those key questions, I'm just going to uh, bring out a couple of them here. These are things yesterday, the conference was, was all about this. Uh, your truth, my truth. Um, that truth is relative. Whatever you believe is just as true as whatever I believe. That's one of those that on the face of it, we have to just shake our heads and say, that's, that's utter nonsense. Now, you don't do that when you're speaking with someone Uh, but you kind of walk them through and show them how this can't be true it's it's ultimately incoherent nobody lives their lives in this way you can't cross the street in that way you look to see if traffic's coming and you don't just pretend your own truth says there's no traffic coming Uh, no there's there's one truth uh, through and through Uh, And so knowing how to answer that is important. Uh, That is, by the way, and I think you know this, it is throughout our culture today. Uh, It is through and through the reality that's upheld as the true reality, that truth is relative. Uh, Something else I mentioned earlier, that our faith is not merely one path, or our faith is it is not just one way, but there are many different paths to God, right? There, there are uh, many different religions, many different ways. Uh, and uh, it was spoken about yesterday at the conference that there's this one way over here and another way over here. And they, they wind their way and they have uh, different leaders and, and, and different aspects to them, but they all kind of meet at the top. And at the top, uh, they have one truth. There is one God. Uh, it's what we call pluralism. It's huge today. Uh, somehow these all fit together, but again, it makes no sense. And, and just as you begin looking at it, uh, at what was just said, you, you begin to see how it falls apart. Because each religion makes truth claims that cannot ever fit with the other truth claims of another religion. And so, they all have to be lying as they work their way to the one truth. And so, if there is untruth that leads to truth, that, that's incoherent. Again, uh, the gospel given by the apostles bears witness to the historical fact of the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the meaning behind that is proclaimed in God's Word and you know, we can go today and we can walk the places where these things took place. Uh, we, can, we can see all the witnesses. This is uh, that which took place in history, in time and space, uh, and was corroborated all the way through. Uh, and really, this was a point that was made yesterday, and it's absolutely true that if you take the various texts and put the Bible alongside of them, and just look at them and, and, and lay them out, uh, it becomes obvious. And you kind of walk through this process, historical process, uh, thinking through uh, the claims that are made, how there's one truth here that's expressed all the way through, and it's often said, you know, ab- about 40 authors spread across large distances over about 1,500 years or more, uh, you know, all saying the same truth, pointing in the same direction, the same gospel comes out of it all. Uh, and before long, it, cle- it, it, it becomes clear there aren't just two, as was said yesterday, there aren't just two texts that are fairly close. No, there's one that is miles above all the others because it is truth all the way, tr- all the way through. And we would expect that uh, None of the the other texts even compare. Now, these are just a couple of the questions that are asked, questions that we need to prepare in some way to answer. He says, always be prepared to to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, Do it with gentleness and respect. There's a how we are to do it. Then he goes on to say, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You know, we can have the best preparation, can't we? But if it's lived out in a life where compromise is shown throughout, where there's hypocrisy throughout, what does it do to that message? It destroys the message. And so he says here, you know, have a good conscience, live your life according to the Lord. Follow Christ. Uh, If you're yoked to Him, again, it's setting your hearts uh, apart to Jesus as your Lord uh, in all of these things. And so uh, two matters. One of those is, is setting aside fear, doing away with fear. The other is always being prepared to have an answer for the hope that lies within you. And that hope that that springs out of you uh, as you live your life and as you contemplate all that lies ahead. Uh, As Peter uh, speaks earlier here, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is that which happened in the past, which is historical, that causes us or helps us to know that we can look forward to the future. Now, ultimately, I will just say as we close this, that there's one way that we can know these things for certain. Uh, And it's not with all of those things that I shared. We do share those with others because they prepare the way for the gospel. But ultimately, there is one way that we can know these things are true for certain and we, we live our lives in that way. And that is because we have the testimony within ourselves. That is because we have the Holy Spirit resident within us. Uh, And so even though He is calling for those kinds of things, make a defense, be ready to defend, yet at the same time to know that it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that ability to walk day after day, to know for certain, to know that we're yoked to Christ, to live our lives so that He is Lord in our lives. That's what comes to us simply through coming, turning to Him by faith. And what what a glorious thing that is, isn't it? Uh, So, always be prepared. Drive out fear. Live for the Lord. Uh, Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that in all these things that we have just gone over, uh, in this command that's given to us, in the ways that we are to go about uh, carrying out this command, Lord, thank you that it's you Uh, who is the one who is with us. It's you who provides for all of this. Uh, These are not things we need to make up for ourselves. We have your word and we have your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you. Give us, Lord, I pray, that confidence that we need to live in this way, live in lives that share the gospel, that that draw people in, that, that cause this recognition that we are different. And help us, Lord, to have the words of the gospel, and to have the answers uh, that show that hope that lies within us. We thank you for your provision, for your goodness, for your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.